The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of MedPEP or Physician Health Services. The advice given to Marie Curious has been individualized and may not apply to the listener. While Marie Curious is a real person describing both real and hypothetical events and situations, she is using a pseudonym for this series. Welcome to MedPEP, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program. I'm your host, Dr. Les Schwab, a practicing internist, an experienced medical leader, and a professional coach. I help medical leaders and health professionals manage workplace complexity in today's very stressful and depleting environment. My MedPEP role is to guide Dr. Marie Curious, a young primary care internist who's here with me today, who is early in her career in a demanding practice here in Massachusetts. Marie is determined to thrive at a time when professional burnout runs rampant throughout the system. In each MedPEP episode, I facilitate a conversation between Marie and an expert with knowledge and skills to help her optimize and humanize her experience practicing medicine. Today's expert is Margaret Moore, also known as Coach Meg, who's here to speak to us today about how self-care is not being selfish. But before we jump in, I'd like Marie to say a few words about what has transpired since we last met. Marie, good to see you again. Good to see you, Les. Okay. So last time we talked with Dr. Phillips about personal self-care. And I, I hope the session itself was valuable. And at the end, I asked you to apply something that you had learned, something that you actually seemed very interested in at the time, but asked to see what it would be like to try it out in your environment. And that specifically was to see if you could make time for lunch, to simply carve out the time and take a time out and relax, eat well, and then go back to your afternoon session. I wondered if you had been able to do that. Well, Les, I remember that distinctly because thinking back to my career thus far, I have not yet eaten my lunch away from the computer or in a meeting. So I felt very invigorated by this challenge and I did set out to do it. I did it once this week very good. <laughs> I took my white coat outside. I laid it on the ground because there was nowhere else to sit. And I sat down on it and ate my lunch. And how was that as a departure from the usual day for you? It was hot. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not well air conditioned. And, you know, Les, I initially, I have to be frank, was rather stressed. I was thinking, my goodness, this is the short period of time that I usually capitalize on to try to catch up on my inbox, close my notes, touch base with my nurse, my medical assistant, whatever it may be. And here I am, you know, taking precious minutes, sitting outside, breathing hot air, not feeling comfortable, trying to eat the sandwich. Okay. But you know what? Ultimately, it wasn't more than 10 minutes, I would say, but I let my mind rest and I just sort of let it drift. And how was that as an experience? Unusual. <laughs> yes, to be unchained from all those purposes That's and right. demands. Did it have any net effect to have allowed yourself that? I think it was nice to go back into the building and at least report to my colleague that I got some fresh air. Um, she a nurse practitioner uh, was very surprised that that's where I had went because I had never done that before. <laughs> and I asked if she wanted to come along next time and she said, no, are you kidding? I have way too much work. 
So, you know, Les, I, I sort of want to bring it back to my practice. We'll see how it goes. I need to practice this more. I think one time wasn't enough. Well, lots of credit for taking the first step in the experiment <laughs> and observing results thus far. Um, and if you're so inclined to pursue further, go ahead. But you do bring up the dilemma, which is actually at the core of today's discussion. Um, you mentioned that you felt badly about taking time out for yourself when mm -hmm. there was the legitimate press of all that other stuff that could have been done during mm -hmm. those 10 minutes eating the sandwich outside in the heat. <laughs> and it's maybe not an obvious trade-off to take time right. for oneself, hopefully under cool and collected circumstances another time, but not always obvious how one takes the time to invest in oneself when it comes so concretely at the expense of something that might have been done in service of your practice. Right. So that is something I think our guest, Coach Meg, might well help you disentangle and figure out how to make that kind of dilemma work for you. I hope not just in my professional life, but maybe my personal life as well. We shall see. Okay, we, sh <laughs> we shall indeed. Welcome, Coach Meg. Thank you, Marie. Please tell me about yourself and the work that you do improving the lot of physicians like myself and other health professionals. Well, I have dedicated my second career, which is the last 17 years, to bringing coaching and well-being and wellness to healthcare through three different organizations. Uh, one is involved in training health professionals as coaches, so that's all about building the curriculum. Another is Harvard Institute of Coaching at McLean Hospital, which does coaching science and research. And another is building a national certification to hopefully bring health and wellness coaches to places like primary care so that wellness is a norm and <laughs> not an exception. I really am focused on all that it takes on lots of different levels to bring well-being to healthcare, and it may well take the rest of my life, and hopefully it'll be a long one, but I think it's a hugely missing part of healthcare and also the population at large. You know, we're not a healthy society, hmm. emotionally or physically. And it's hard to imagine us getting that done without the healthcare workforce also being well. A few times I, I heard the word wellness, and that's coming up more and more in popular press, even with patients asking me about mm -hmm. healthy lifestyle, healthy living, wellness. You know, that's not a term I recall hearing very often in medical school at all. What is it? What does it encompass? And why should physicians care about it for themselves and for their patients? Well, there's lots of definitions for well-being and lots of well-being models. And so you can pick from a number, whichever one sings to you. The basic ingredients, though, from the healthcare perspective, I think are the physical well-being, mm -hmm. which is all of the ways we take care of the body we live in, you know, that, that we have under control. So that exercise and eating and sleep. And then we've got an emerging area called emotional well-being. And that has really taken off in the last 15 years because the field of positive psychology has only arrived in the last 20 years. That's mm. the science of human thriving. Now, they don't so much focus on the body. There's an emerging literature about happiness and health and the impact of happiness on health. 
There's pretty strong data now that positive emotions, life satisfaction, good relationships, sense of meaning and purpose, enjoying, savoring the moment, all of those things add up to improving cardiovascular function and, and function of the immune system. So we're not far off calling them health behaviors, you know, the, the act of generating emotional well-being. So those, I would say those are the two fields you can focus on within healthcare. I mean, the, the mindfulness movement, if you've been following the field of mindfulness, which is a way of learning more about the, what the inner world, right. you know, that, that's inside of our minds through meditation and mindfulness practices. There's now a couple hundred published papers on mindfulness techniques, improving modestly, but given the kinds of interventions, making meaningful improvements to just about, you know, all the major diseases. So as I like to say, suffering well, handling your <laughs> negative emotions well. Oh. So generating positive emotions, the kind oh. that give you energy, put a spring in your step, whatever those are for you. And then also handling the negative ones in a way that's, that's productive, finding the learning, you know, making meaning from your negative experiences so they, that it actually leads you to grow and get better. Meg, that all sounds very reasonable, but I just can't help the cynical physician voice, perhaps somewhere deep inside or out there for the listeners. It sounds like a little bit of viewing the world through rose-colored glasses or, or maybe trying to spin things in a positive way. Right. Does it yeah. really work? Yeah, yeah, let me let me clarify that because the way I think to think about this is that there a famous scientist Barbara Fredrickson who's the, been studying positive emotions for probably 30 years. Her research has shown that resilience, which is the ability mm -hmm. to bounce back from bad things, is largely influenced by the level of positive emotions that you have. Hmm. So they're not a luxury to have positive emotions. They're a necessity to help you handle the negative. And so what's important here is the balance. And when you're out of balance with too many negative experiences in a day, then your resources are depleted because positive emotions make you more creative, they, you're more flexible, open-minded, they impact the brain immediately. And so if you have an overdose of negative, then what happens is you're depleting all kinds of cognitive functions. And so the way I think about this is it's, it's getting the right balance. Right. So the positive is there to hold you up so that you can handle the stressors and the things that are not so pleasant. So my concern, Meg, is that I have to be frank, I'm sort of a glass half empty kind of person, okay? Um, and <laughs> I don't have that cheery disposition on yeah. my view of life, but can that be changed? I, you know, I want to be more positive. Mm. I want to have that positive emotion balancing out the negatives and taking out the most from each experience. Right. But my, how should I say, my predisposition right. is to be a little bit half glass empty. Right, and you know, when you work in the healthcare space, the bias is towards looking for problems too. Certainly. You know, you're, you're focused on what's wrong with people. Right. It's a, it's a sickness business, right? So maybe your disposition isn't uh, at the high end of the 
spectrum. But I hear all the time from physicians and providers that the level of negativity in the workplace mm. in healthcare is particularly high. Mm. It's higher than in other domains. You're not the only domain. Lawyers have the highest risk of depression and suicide, and so they are also looking for what's wrong because of their work. So the, I think that does come from the work. So you do have a set point. The thinking is that probably 40-50% of your emotional pattern is driven by uh, what you inherited or maybe your early experiences. Sure. However, you can still move it up significantly. And this is where Barbara Fredrickson's work is wonderful because just by changing a few things, so, you know, changing the channel from uh, to a little gratitude, Huh. You know, just mo just moments, small moments add up in But you a have day. to be cognizant of it. Yeah, they're habits. They're yeah, habits. habits. Yeah. So yeah. you're saying there is hope for me and I am coachable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there was a pause there, Meg. Yes. Well, actually, no, I paused because, because I, I think it's about coaching yourself. Huh. That would be a first step towards mm. a more positive frame, right? Because... The ideal in coaching is that we're teaching people how to coach themselves um, so that you can, you know, turn the dial. You know, you've got your hand on the dial. Okay, the negativity level has gone down. Let me take a breath. Let me hit the pause button. Hmm. Let me even reboot, you know, by going outside or walking up some stairs. How can I get myself back to equanimity again? And so what you can teach yourself, and this is one of the joys of being alive and a coach in these days is that we have endless, you know, you, you, when I started jogging 30 years ago, exercise, the only thing there was to do was jog or walk. You know, now we have a million kinds of uh -huh. exercise, right? It's something for everybody. And the meditation, mindfulness, emotional uh, regulation area is kind of like where, where we were back then, where there aren't so many choices. But right now, there's a whole flurry of new interventions, small things that take a minute to, even 10 seconds. You know, my Apple Watch has a, a reminder to breathe and you click on it and for one minute it taps you and you breathe in and out with the app. And so that's an example mm. of just a small nudge that can help you write your ship quickly. That's interesting, Meg. I actually am a little, how should I say, worried or skeptical of the use of technology specifically to remind me to relax. The reason right. being is that we are being nudged and tickled and thumbs up, happy faces. You know, there's all sorts of things in social media, the dings in my inbox, the bolding. I mean, it almost makes me have palpitations right. because so it's just constant stimulation and reminders that I need to be checking this and that. And do I have the cupcakes ready for my daughter's preschool class? Do I have, you know, tomorrow's preparation ready for the patients that I'll be seeing? Constant things. I, I don't right. want any more tasks to do. Right. Yeah. So, so it sounds like for you, when you, when you look at a device, you get a negative, you have a negative reaction. Right. So that's like not a, a good like place a for you to look. Yeah. <laughs> I think right. all doctors yeah, right. have. Yeah. So there's a, there's a cue there that sets <laughs> right. you up into a downward spiral. So, so, you know, the, the, this is where self-awareness comes, right? You know, what will get you on an upward spiral. And if technology takes you on a downward spiral, and it's not surprising, you know, in the world that you live in right now that you, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of anger. 
<laughs> technology right now, so I can appreciate that. You know, it is, a, a, as you know, it's whatever works. Um, whatever it is, whether it's looking at a photo of your daughter or a flower, a, a drawing that one of your children drew, you know, whatever it is that helps you move from angst and some unpleasant emotions to, you know, I'm glad to be alive. Life is good. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to ask something here. You observed that there are incredible demands on your time and that it would be challenging to make an intervention, even if you thought the evidence was somewhat convincing and something like taking lunch or looking at your watch to take a little time out or do something reflective or mm -hmm. even pulling out the picture of your daughter. Mm -hmm. Things that might hopefully give you a little bit of a charge still come at the expense of what you otherwise feel is your more legitimate purpose, perhaps, of tending to the work at hand. And first of all, let me ask, is that the kind of conflict it presents, like the idea of taking the time out for lunch, for instance? That certainly. And just thinking about less, I think last time you mentioned that you take a walk during your lunch break, even taking that time feels selfish. I mean, it feels like I'm not doing my job. Right. And I, the, so that is exactly what we'd like Meg to sort of help us disentangled, mm. entangled for ourselves. We are so purposive and so driven by the sense of first duty to our patients right. and to the encumbrances of practice that accompany it, that it's very hard to think of it as legitimate to do something different in the middle of the day or from time to time. So I wondered if the two of you might pick that up and decide how to actually get to the point where it's okay to permit yourself to go ahead and try some of these things in the service of your own wellness. And a even more specific question, to do so before I get to the verge of breakdown. <laughs> because yeah, I've before seen, the downward spiral. Yeah, is, because I've yeah. seen that happen with um, colleagues, and unfortunately, one who uh, really was like a, a mentor to me left the practice because of burnout, and that's exactly what this person would have stated is the cause. Yeah. So, when it comes to making change, there are some magic rules, which is that the desire, the motivation to do it. Mm -hmm needs to be strong. Mm -hmm. You know, there needs to be a real genuine desire that then gets fueled as things, you know, as you have good experiences and you keep going. And sometimes it's good to really think about the bigger picture for you. Mm -hmm. You know, like who is it that you want to be model to your kids, be mm -hmm. a model doctor. You know, when it comes to self-care, you know, if you were to imagine yourself in the future, you mm -hmm. know, what would that self look like and how would it relate to self-care? If you could see yourself from a balcony looking at you and your work life today, what would you like that? What would you like Marie to be doing, you know, a year or two from now? Oh boy. I'm looking, I'm taking that bird's eye view in my mind's eye right now and I'm, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. I have to be frank. It's scary. Yeah, what is it that you're seeing? The, the sense that it's not sustainable that if I keep going down the path, this rate that I'm doing, that I won't make it to that metaphysical space in the future looking back 30 years. I wanna be a, a healthy person to be a model to my kids, mm -hmm. to have a balanced life, whatever balance means. You know, it's almost sort of a, a dirty word. 
amongst physicians, at least it used to be when yeah. I was training. Yeah, right. A and you're saying that you're thinking that you might want to break away from that view of balance because you can see it could lead you down to a low place where you don't really want to be. How do you mean? Well, so I, I, what I was hearing is that you're thinking, if, if you look at yourself, you, what you see is that you, you're heading towards the path of burnout and feeling depleted and not feeling good about how you've lived your life, right? right? And so, so... Uh, not terribly, not terribly, but okay. yeah, yeah, maybe when you were proposing it, it just seemed, you know, what would make you, the changes now would make you feel like you would be satisfied with what you saw. And perhaps that is more accurate. I'm not entirely satisfied. Right, okay. So if you were to dream a little hmm. bit about who is Marie mm -hmm. down the road relative to self-care and balance and modeling those things for, in fact, not just for your family, but also for your patients. Because of course your patients are coming in with the same, right. same concerns. What does that look like? What's the ideal? Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I think about that, I just, I think I just need more energy. Is that possible? Yeah, well, that is, that is <laughs> to a, do something in short supply, yeah. So, <laughs> so part of your imagining your future self is that you'd be energetic or yes, more energetic. Right. Yeah. That I would be full of energy in clinic yeah. and not feel depleted by the end of the day so that when I did go home, I had energy for my family and to get right, to spend okay. high quality time with my children instead of previously mentioning. I do, I really do try to play with them. I have two little ones. Um, sometimes I do fall asleep on the floor, not intentionally. So can I have more energy? But I limit myself to one cup of coffee a day. Right, okay, good. So, <laughs> so, you, so you would like to upgrade your energy? Yes. Right, okay. And, um, and that's because it would help you perform better and be a better parent and do everything better. Right, and, and I wonder if that's part of the problem, Meg, is that I feel like I need to do everything myself, or perhaps do everything very well in all spheres of my life. Is that even possible? What do you think? No, I don't. I don't think it's possible. I don't think, I don't think I can do everything. I can't be a phenomenal physician and a wonderful, loving wife and mother and daughter, you know, as my parents are aging mm -hmm. and I think about my own family dynamics and issues. I actually try not to think about it too much, Meg, because it becomes overwhelming and I just take it a day at a time. <laughs> right, okay. So back to though the idea of having more energy and we started off on the topic of self-care. Yes. Um, so how could those things be connected? So where I'm going here is, you know, self-care and better health for you and your patients and everyone else around you isn't the end that you want, right? It's the means to the end. Ah, uh, yes. So if you want more energy and you want to perform as well as you can with the resources you have, you know, what can self-care give you? If you were to invest in self-care, what, what difference would that make? Well, if I took the time to eat better to incorporate any level of exercise into my life, uh, to sleep well, I think I would just feel better physically and thus have that energy to, to go through the day, perhaps with a little less dread. 
and dragging of feet. Mm -hmm. So it's a different mathematical equation, right? Zero healthcare leads to a certain level of energy. Then you, you invest in the self-care and then you get the returns that justify the investment plus more. So you're creating a different formula. I never thought of it like that. And if you remember in medical school, our old friend, the Starling Curve. You know, yes. that the heart has a peak performance yes. zone yeah. when it doesn't have too much preload or too much afterload. That yeah. Not too much is asked of us, and it's not too hard to get the work done. There is a place yeah. where performance is optimized. A yeah. sweet spot. A sweet spot. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, Les, and that kind of leads you know, your analytical mind, you know, you wonder what is the sweet spot yes. for you? You know, what is the level of investment in self-care right. that gets you the energy that you want so you just feel more positive and you feel like you're on an upward spiral or at least maintaining positive as opposed to, you know, seeing yourself maybe on a downward uh, trajectory. What is that investment? Mm. And that's a personal thing. Each mm -hmm. of us needs to invest in a different combination of things to get the return that we want. And I'd like to make one other observation to that point. So it, Meg, I think you're right that it is an investment. It is a new activity, which somehow has to find its place in this very overscheduled world mm -hmm. of Marie's. And to displace perhaps something else, which it will, even though yeah. ultimately performance may be better, may feel like one of these lowering the bar moments. What am I not yeah. doing professionally while I'm taking care of myself? And one thing I've learned in working with physicians around this dilemma is to try and make a distinction that being off duty is not the same as dereliction of duty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that's one, an investment. And, yeah. and that if one can just that, to figure that out a bit and feel like it's okay, I'm off duty now and it's okay, as opposed to I'm off, I'm neglecting things to create just enough space where that feels okay is a place to start. And isn't that novel less because as physicians, we're trained from the get-go that we are never off duty. In fact, even on vacation, mm -hmm. on a plane, yeah. going somewhere that's completely unrelated, if they call overhead, there's a medical emergency. Is there a physician on board? That actually happened to me several times mm -hmm. less. And I awoke out of sleep because somewhere in the back of my mind that just triggered, I woke up and I'm like, I'm here and ready to serve. You know, wow. there's no shut off. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I would say in some ways that's quite wonderful that you could <laughs> and perhaps quite fulfilling in the right moment. Right. But until yeah. that PA and husband went on, you were off duty. Yes. Hopefully feeling that was fine. And hopefully there are ways to feel off duty, even in the surrounds of your everyday life that leave you time for your wellness. Yeah. And that's the secret sauce, right? And, and if I could learn this from both of you, how do I not worry about my inbox accumulating more things, even as we speak now, but in my off-duty time? It just hangs over my head mm -hmm. all weekend long. And I think that's the way it is for every practicing physician, I have to say. Well, maybe not, Les. You are a practicing physician. Well, I am aware of those voices asking me to be elsewhere than where I am at the moment. And for me, it's a matter of saying, right now my priority is this. I'm not neglecting those other voices. I'll get to them, but right now I don't want them to sabotage the experience uh, at hand. Yes. Yeah. It's important for me to be here now. And I have enough faith that I will discharge my other duties at some other point, but I can let go of that sharp awareness 
for the moment. So you're, we're teaching physicians how to relax, and that's something that perhaps not many of us are very good at. <laughs> but I think when I'm learning today, and I, I wanna verify that these are the take home points, is that one, if I make an investment into my self-care, there will be returns. And that in and of itself is very hopeful, that it can be customized to each physician. Mm -hmm. And I basically, I need to prioritize um, what I wish out of life and to take that bird's eye view from a metaphysical perspective. I, that really spoke to me because I don't think enough of us take that step back and say, if I were looking back in this moment, 30 years from now, would I be satisfied? Would I be happy? How would I change things? How would things be better optimized to fulfill what I wish for my career, for my life, mm -hmm. et cetera? And then finally, that being off duty doesn't mean I'm negligent. Right. That was incredibly helpful. Coach Meg, I wish we had oodles of more hours together. Well, I have to credit coaching with allowing me to get to that point and finding that out and being able to uh, tell others. So anyhow. May I one, add a yeah, couple things? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so so um, I want to suggest two things yes. to think about. One is that you have an identity called the doctor, right? Right. And one thing you may not have found yet is the off switch. There's an on switch and an off switch. So when we talk about meta-awareness, mm -hmm. when you see there's a physician identity and there's more of me than that. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I just want to seed you with the idea that there is a switch on and off. So you can choose to turn off the physician that is so conscientious, that is a perfectionist, that is worried about the emails, and that you've got that switch. Mm -hmm. um, and the second thing, which is there's some really good science around this, is self-compassion. Mm -hmm. So when you're feeling, you know, you're going to get flooded in those moments of, with guilt. I mean, we, you know, it's a natural thing when you're, you've taken time off. And rather than turn it into more guilt and more criticism yes. and into down, another downward spiral when you're trying to be on an upward spiral, you know, that like you do with your children, you know, feel a moment of compassion for your own suffering. And that's Mother Nature's way of soothing suffering. Mm. And it could even be hard, I think, for a glass half empty person <laughs> to feel self-compassion if one is critical of, of oneself and, and one's possibilities and the environment. But I would say there's a choice to try it and yes. see if it can be done. Yeah, and, that, and I think that's another thing to make. You talked about the word investment, and I want to make sure that you see this as you're a scientist doing experiments. So we're suggesting, mm -hmm. there's a hypothesis here. Okay, <laughs> I'm listening. If you invest in usually a combination of three or four small practices that don't add up to a lot of time right. together that are synergistic, you make the investment, you, you play with it, and you watch your energy. You know, it's a, it's a hypothesis, but yet to be proven with experience. And so I think if you come in with that idea, and it's not another setting a high bar again, mm -hmm. right? You're simply trying things out, and you're looking for that sweet spot for you, then your mindset will be much more open and free and fun and light, you know, as opposed to the way you approach work. 
Very good. So let's talk about what might happen between now and our next conversation. Coach Meg has given us some ideas for an experiment that you might try. One could be in the way of investment in one of these self-care practices and observing if you can be self-compassionate enough to allow it Mm -hmm. or to discern the problem in being self-compassionate. Or you could practice using that off switch somewhere. Mm -hmm. How do you turn down that very substantial part of your identity as a doctor and experience that as part of a yet larger self? So I would offer you the choice of an experiment, an investment in a wellness practice or experimenting using the off switch. Les, I'm honestly trying to think which one might be a little bit easier to achieve. Absolutely. They're both both challenging. But you, so it depends what achievement is. I think just trying it, just trying it is an achievement. Okay. Or observing why it is so hard to try and sharing that would be an achievement. I will try to find my off switch. Excellent. Okay. All right. <laughs> no promises that it yeah. can be turned no, off. You will, you will find it. I promise All right. you'll find it. Very good. <laughs> Thank you, Marie. Thank you, Meg. I look forward to our next conversation when we will be talking with Dr. Gail Gazelle, who will be speaking with us about mindful practice. Thank you, Les, for being my guide. I hope our work together today with Coach Meg, thank you, Coach Meg, and other mentors and teachers along the way will help me stay passionate about medicine and about my life outside of medicine, while hopefully helping others along the way too. Thanks, Les. You're so welcome, Marie. If you have a question or a comment about today's program, email us at feedback at medpep.org or simply visit us at medpep.org. And now, here's a few words from MedPep's founder, Steve Edelman. This is Dr. Steve Edelman, creator of MedPep, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program, and director of PHS, Physician Health Services, a charitable subsidiary of the Massachusetts Medical Society. Our mission is to promote the well-being of health professionals. Many thanks to our seeker, Dr. Marie Curious, to our guide, Dr. Les Schwab, and to our wonderful group of guest experts. Hats off to project leader, Dr. J. Dev Dasgupta, audio producer, Douglas Stevens, guitardiologist, Dr. Susie Brown, and to the staff and board of PHS. Please visit and connect with us at medpep.org for CME info, faculty bios, and additional empowerment resources.